Each week, the Bible as Literature podcast brings you in-depth discussion of the biblical text in a format short enough for your morning commute, but long enough to be substantive, posing difficult questions meant to keep you engaged. If you value this work, please consider donating as little as 25 cents per episode. That's just $1 per month. To learn more, please visit patreon.com forward slash Bible. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash Bible. Thank you. Hi. This is Father Mark Bulos with the Bible as Literature podcast. For those who impose a triumphalist or sectarian premise on the Bible, it is impossible to hear the parable of the ten virgins. Even if they accept Matthew's warning that the church will be judged, even if they understand that the virgins represent churches, they immediately assume that their church is numbered among the prudent. But the very fact of a Matthean reckoning implies that the jury is still out for all of us. So, the question is, is the body of our church prepared for the arrival of the bridegroom? Since all ten virgins representing all the churches of the earth, were found sleeping at the wheel, how did some manage to survive? What should your church be doing to scrape by on that day despite itself? Richard and I discuss the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 5 to 9. You're listening to the Bible as Literature. Hi, this is Father Mark Bulos. And this is Dr. Richard Benton. And you are listening to episode 382 of the Bible as Literature podcast. We continue today with our discussion of the ten virgins and their lamps. Remember that last week we explained we're talking about communities, about churches upon the earth. It's a reckoning coming out of Matthew 24 with institutions their leaders, and the people gathered in those communities, those churches. We often talk about churches philosophically. Just listen in whatever denomination or church community you find yourself. Listen to how people talk about your church. They speak about it philosophically as though, despite the fact that everyone in your church is a sinner, your church is righteous. This makes no sense. That's not how Scripture works. Your church on this earth is judged. It is not the kingdom of God. It is a community of people under judgment. The kingdom of God is ahead of us. And here in Matthew chapter 25, as we approach the judgment when the wheat will be separated from the chaff, when the sheep will be separated from the goats, when we'll know the difference between the wicked slave and the faithful slave. Here in Matthew 25, we're approaching that moment when the Israel of God, 
those who walk according to the rule of Paul's letter in Galatians, will be made manifest. It's an apocalypsis, meaning we can't tell in Matthew the difference between the wheat and the tear until the books are opened on the day of judgment and the Father whispers in the ear of Jesus Christ, this one is a sheep and this one is a goat. Yalla. Move this one through, cast this one out. That's how it works. That's what's meant by a revelation and uncovering. But until that time, we don't know, and no one can judge before the time. I was chatting this week with a listener, and he was commenting on our discussion of Matthew 18 and the famous passage where Jesus commands us to forgive seven times 70. He pointed out the passage in Genesis chapter 4. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Beautiful reference that underscores something Father Paul was saying about the judgment against Cain. No one is allowed to touch Cain, despite the horror of Cain's sin against Abel, because no one is allowed to judge before the time. That is the point in Matthew. But now, in chapter 25, that time is upon us. That's what's going on in the parable of the ten virgins. Matthew 24 begins with the destruction of Jerusalem. The rest of the passage is all about being prepared. Is it a good thing that Jerusalem is destroyed? Is it a bad thing that Jerusalem is destroyed? He doesn't say, actually. He just states it as a matter of fact. There are not going to be any more stones on top of the other. So be ready. According to what I'm seeing here in Matthew 24 and 25, we know, as a matter of fact, the tragedy is going to come. The only question is, are you ready? Are you going to be ready? That is your, as Father Paul used to always tell us, that is your quiz before the final exam, which is the judgment. The destruction of Jerusalem is the mini-exam. It's the midterm. It's the quiz to see if we're going to be ready for the final exam. Are you going to be ready when the Master comes to see if you've been feeding his people? Are you going to be ready when the owner of the sheepfold returns to see if you've been taking care of his sheep? Are you going to be ready when it's time to flee? Are you going to know how and when and how quickly to flee? Those are the questions. And here we've been confronted with this because we have two equal groups of virgins, five and five. What does it look like to be ready when the time comes? And what does it look like not to be ready when the time comes? Matthew, through Jesus, is explaining what readiness looks like. Just like before he was contrasting the good servant and the bad servant, and now he's comparing the good virgins with the bad virgins. What does it mean to be ready? This is readiness, readiness, readiness. All listeners, read so you can be ready. Prepare by reading so you can be ready. It's all about readiness. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. This is an example 
And you and I were speaking about this this morning, Richard, rolling our eyes. It's nice. I want our listeners to know it's a pleasure to do Bible study with a world-class linguist because this stuff keeps Richard up at night. You have two different verbs for sleeping in the verse. And it sounds nice in English when they say they were drowsy and began to sleep. But that's not what's going on in the Greek. So we started digging, and it's interesting. The word nistazo, which is the first verb for sleeping that's used, that they translate drowsy, which really doesn't make sense in the Greek. That's how they try to make sense out of it, is used one other time in the New Testament in Second Peter. And then, Richard, you checked the Septuagint and you found it in Psalm 75. But in Second Peter, it is a reference to those false prophets who arose among the people. And the reckoning that will take place for those false prophets that their judgment from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. And of course, the word that's translated asleep in Second Peter in the New American Standard Bible is again, it's the same verb, nistazo. So it's a technical term. There's a reason that the writer of the Gospel of Matthew is using two different verbs for sleep. Clearly, the use of this verb is a connection to that judgment against these wicked false prophets, these wicked leaders. It's a tie-in to the previous mashal that came at the end of Matthew 24, criticizing the wicked and unfaithful slave, which are the leaders and the teachers in the church, and the false Christs of Matthew 24, the false apostles, the enemies of the apostle Paul, Anyone who would work against the gospel, anyone who would lead people astray with false teaching, anyone who would make themselves appear as the Son of God like Caesar himself, all those who would work against the body of Christ with false teaching so as to lead people away from the scroll of the Torah which Jesus carries in his right hand. You're right, Father. You can tell that different translators were having trouble with it. They got drowsy and slept. Yeah, I don't know if it ever means get drowsy. King James, the way they dealt with it, they all slumbered and slept. It sounds nice. It sounds nicer in English. I like the Septuagint just because we have that nice alliteration. But then when I'm looking at the other occurrence of the verb that you were mentioning, Father, you know, it also appears in Psalm 76, 6, in the Masoretic, in those of you who are looking at the Septuagint, 75, 7. So I know that's confusing for some people. But to see this theme of sleep appear a couple times in this psalm, one word is used in this pair in Matthew that we're looking at, but then there's an additional word, hypnosine, which is like hypnosis, it's the same word that we know in English, used to talk about sleep that is lethargy, maybe would be a good word for that. But in all the cases, it's about alertness and the opposite of alertness. Because when that day comes, as we know, we have to be ready to flee, no matter what. And the opposite of that 
is sleeping. All of the virgins went to sleep, meaning they weren't staying attentive. The good servant stayed up all night and didn't go to sleep at all. They were paying attention the whole time. But these virgins, all 10 of them fell asleep. So seeing how this theme appears elsewhere, we might think badly of these virgins because none of them, not a one of them, 0%, 0 out of 10, F minus, were paying attention and were awake when the time came to do the thing that was going to come, the bridegroom. It's important to understand that sleeping has this idea of lethargy and not being reactive. And that's why your coach on the field says, stop sleeping out there. It's time to wake up from your naps. Let's get moving. It means pay attention and go fast and be ready and act. The virgins, all 10 of them, are not ready to act. But at midnight, there was a shout, behold, the bridegroom come out to meet him. Now, people hearing this verse in English who are familiar with 1 Thessalonians will unfortunately, because of the liberties taken by English translations, assume that there's a connection between the use of the word shout here and the expression, the Lord will descend from the heavens with a shout. Here, the word chravgi is a crying out or a lament, an uproar. It's a crying out that comes from the people. It's used in Acts when it refers to the clamor that was created after Paul caused an ideological debate between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Paul talks about it in Ephesians when he's explaining that this kind of crying out will be put to rest if you allow Scripture to equip the church correctly and set everything in order. It's used in Revelation. It appears in the Psalter and the Septuagint but it refers to an uproar from human beings. In 1 Thessalonians, it's the command, the shout from the Lord who gives instruction. The word in 1 Thessalonians is unique. It occurs only there and in the Septuagint in Proverbs, whereas chravgi occurs in quite a few places. There's shout here in English and shout there in English, but they're different words in Greek. Well, what do those different words mean? This word means yell. You can yell something nice. You can yell something nasty. Two people can yell at each other a bunch of nonsense. You know, people can make a lot of noise. But in Thessalonians, the yell there is like when you yell like a command. Do this. It's a different kind of yelling. It's a very specific kind of yelling to command someone to do something. But this one, it's making an announcement. This announcement is made at midnight, so when they're in their deepest sleep, when it is darkest out, and when you're at your most lethargic, when you're the least ready to react, when you're the groggiest you could possibly be, the worst time to wake up, anyone who's woken up in the middle of the night knows that it feels terrible because you can't think straight. Someone came to these virgins, the bridegroom comes, come meet him. And everyone's like, because they're in the middle of the night, they're sleepy. All 10 of them are unaware. All 10 of them are lethargic. All 10 of them are not thinking clearly when this cry comes out to them. 
Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. Now, I know what all of our listeners are thinking. That's not very Christian of the wise virgins. Shouldn't they share, Father Mark? No, they shouldn't, because they can't. The thing that the foolish virgins want only comes through time, pressure, repetition, and practice. It's not going to help you to say the Lord's Prayer on your deathbed. This is not a mystery religion. It's not a magic show. There's no pixie dust that you can sprinkle on someone. This is a lifelong discipline of receiving the daily bread that Jesus commands in that beautiful, succinct prayer, which is the only valid prayer. Our Father, give us this day our daily bread, which is the reading. And if you have not been doing it every day, they have nothing to give you. They can be as merciful as they want, but their forgiveness is not going to save you. There is only one who is judge. Remember that their forgiveness as your brothers and sisters on earth ultimately is for their sake because they're not the judge. They can't forgive you, which is why they're ordered to forgive you because it's not their business. So we're past the expiration date of 7 times 70 because now the one who is the judge is coming and now he will decide whether or not you have been merciful, whether or not you have done something with the gift of the daily bread. And they can't help you. So in fact, they're being merciful and generous by telling you at the last minute, if you're going to do anything, this is what you have to do. Go back and receive the daily bread, because I have nothing to give you. We talked in the last episode about the link between mercy and oil. Mercy is not something you can just get and just grab and go. What is really important about these 10 slumbering, lethargic, hazy, groggy virgins is that half of them prepared and half of them did not prepare for this moment. They all knew the moment was coming. They didn't know what time. They were hoping it wasn't going to be in the middle of the night, but you know, it came at a bad time. What can I say? The entire difference was the preparation. Preparation can only happen through time. It requires time. Yes, you can go to the market and try to go and buy some oil here at the last minute, but it's the last minute. If it takes more than a minute to buy the oil, you're out of luck. The virgins 
who were Fronimos acquired the oil early beforehand before it was needed. Now, don't forget the thing that you were saying, Father, about this happening immediately and the speed and this must happen immediately harkens back to the previous chapter. When it's time to go, you have to flee now. You don't even have time to go back to your house to get a jacket, let alone go to the market and buy and sell and bargain and figure out and all that. It is always troubling this notion to a lot of Christians, like, well, couldn't they share and be generous? It's like an umbrella, you know, maybe you could squeeze two under the same umbrella. Maybe you could just use the lamp for one of them and they could share the lamp and then they could all come, you know? Okay, this is how people like to think and maybe in a way you could stretch this parable somehow so that they could share it. I don't know. But the point of the parable is preparation. And like you said, Father, I can't read the Bible for you. Here at the Bible's Literature Podcast, we can't read the Bible for you. We can guide you. We can encourage you. We can discourage you. We can make you feel bad. We can make you feel good. Whatever is going to get you to read the Bible. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. So I just encourage you all, drink. We're going to end the podcast here, but I want to be merciful to our listening community and not advise you to go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. Instead, I'm going to say, why don't you keep reading Matthew tomorrow and the day after tomorrow and keep reading Matthew and then join us next week for a review. Thanks very much, Dr. Benton. Thank you, Father. You've just heard the Bible as literature. Thanks for listening. The Bible as Literature is a production of the Ephesus School Network.